his prison cell, my father began to implore this group of men that he had been interacting with well before he went to prison to commit acts of terror. They had planned to bomb initially a dozen different landmarks in New York City, tunnels, synagogues, bridges. But in 1993, this group of men planned a, a van filled with 1,500 pounds of explosives into a parking lot of the World Trade Center's North Tower. And we continue now our coverage of the terror that has struck the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. Police say that it may in fact have been a bomb, a massive bomb, that caused an explosion to rip through the PATH train station below the Trade Center's just after noon today, sending shockwaves through the buildings where as many as 100,000 people were at work. being indoctrinated to hate people because of their religion, because of their race, because of their sexuality. Yeah. And the reason that I decided to start speaking publicly was because I wanted to share the experiences I had that ultimately brought me out of that belief. And it was interactions with the people I've been taught to hate. I find that one of the surest ways to begin breaking down a lot of stereotypes we sometimes associate with one another is just by interacting when a Muslim stands up and says, uh, in the aftermath of a terrorist attack, this is not my belief, this is not what I believe, this is not what the vast majority of Muslims in the world believe. Some people listen, uh, but most people, it kind of falls on deaf ears. Right. And the fact that I'm the son of a terrorist makes people listen. Elaborate on that a little bit about being the, the son of a terrorist. Maybe talk a little bit about your, your father and what that experience was like growing up. Sure. Um, you know, my father was radicalized in the U.S. So um, for many years I had great memories of him being a very kind and, and loving father. I mean, I, I had no doubt that he cared very much about our family. And, yeah. um, and over the course of about a year and a half or so, he started to spend more and more time with this particular group of men at a particular mosque and and just every day became a little bit more distant. Mm. How old were you at that time? I was six and seven Okay. Um, as he started to become more radicalized. And Could you tell the difference from early years with your father to maybe seven years old and, and beyond? I could tell that there was a difference. Mm. I wasn't totally sure what that difference was, but yeah. I, I mean, I definitely noticed a difference in my father to the point that one Friday after we left the mosque, after we'd been listening to this sermon by, uh, by the blind Sheikh Omar Abdul Rahman, um, I asked my father, I said, when did you become such a good Muslim? Mm -hmm. Because I, I mistook his, his zealotry for, um, for virtue. Mm -hmm. and, and he said, when I came to America and saw everything that was wrong with it. And as a young kid, I, I couldn't quite understand what that meant right. to him. But as an adult, looking back, especially after the actions that he took, a red flag would have, would have gone up, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Um, when I was seven, in uh, November of 1990, my father assassinated Rabbi Meir Kahana in uh, New York City. Uh, Meir Kahana was the head of the largest terrorist organization operating inside the United States at the time of his assassination. And the reason that I say that is because I, I think it's 
context is important, and there's no justification for my father's actions. But I think that it's important to understand what the rabbi represented and, and what my father represented. Yeah. And, and frankly, how similar both of those ideologies were. They were just on the opposite ends of it. Initially, after the murder, he was actually acquitted. And, but he was found guilty on assault and weapons charges. So he was sentenced to 7 to 21 years. He would actually be out of prison. He had been out of prison some years ago yeah. if it wasn't for his involvement in the World Trade Center. Uh, we lived a really unstable life after my father went to prison. I, on average, every nine months we moved to a new place. I was always going to a new school. It was really hard for me, uh, you know, making friends and, and just trying to grow as a, as a social human being. Absolutely. Um, I was bullied very, very badly for about ten years, really. I mean, because uh, of, or people knew who your father was, or just... Initially. Okay. Uh, initially, people knew. Uh, in fact, we were going to a, a public school in New Jersey when he was arrested, mm -hmm. and they made it pretty clear they didn't want our family to come back. The community there didn't want our family there. And we were fortunate that a private Islamic school in New Jersey offered us scholarships. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had anywhere else to go. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of people in the community knew who we were. Some people in the community wanted nothing to do with our family because of my father's actions. I, I got very used to people judging me or, or my life being affected uh, by the opinions of others because of my father's action. Eventually we moved enough that people didn't know who I was, but I was a quiet kid. I was always the new kid. It was, uh, it was just always a very difficult situation for me to, to make new friends every year. And I think, you know, with, with bullying, which some people think it's strange, but of all of the experiences I've had, of all of the, the hardships I've had to overcome, the thing that had the most lasting effect on me, the most lasting negative effect on me, was being bullied. You know, being made to feel like I didn't belong, like there was something wrong with me, that I somehow maybe even deserved the treatment that I was getting. It just it devastated my, my self-esteem, my sense of self-worth. And, and I think really that's why I feel that I'm so fortunate that I, I had people in my life who supported me and thought more of me than I thought of myself yeah. that ultimately allowed me to start speaking publicly. And the reason I started to speak was after 9-11. You know, there were people being killed, um, people who weren't even Muslim, you know, Sikhs. And, Just because they looked a certain way. Yeah, I mean, the, these stereotypes that people were pushing forward. And although I had been subjected to the type of belief that so many people are fearful of. Mm -hmm. I knew that my experience was not the typical experience of a Muslim. And as I said, I knew that people would pay attention to me yeah. because of what my father did. Absolutely. And that's, that's not something that the average Muslim or the average peace activist yeah. gets. You know, when you're taught by your parents to hate people, you don't assume that they don't have your best interests at heart. You think your parents are looking out for you, they want what's best for you. They're your parents. You don't question what yeah, they teach parents. you, absolutely. And, um, and that's really hard to overcome. Uh, and I think one of the reasons that my story has resonated with a lot of people is because it's not unique to my upbringing. There are so many people in this country and all over the world 
who are raised to hate people based on really arbitrary measurements. And I think we're, we're bearing a lot of the, the discontent of that. Looking at the current um, social climate that we're in today and how much well, I'm sure we can all agree that America is becoming more divided, um, what are some of the steps that you think um, we should be taking as a country to try to unite us more, um, especially as someone who came from such an extreme upbringing, right? Like you've been taught to hate and you stood against it and now America is being taught to hate all over again, but the message is so strong across the board, across the country. Um, what is your best advice that you can give to viewers who are watching this to um, kind of help unite us as a country? When I speak, I talk about the kindness that the people that I showed hatred to showed me mm. and how that was the catalyst to my changing. Uh, I realize that that's not always possible for some people. You know, it's not always possible to, shine, to show kindness to someone who denies your humanity. There and they'll even say it to your face, too. I've dealt with that. I'm sure. Over, over years. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and it worked for me. It won't necessarily work in every situation, but I think that ultimately um, that's the way you win more people over. Definitely. I don't think that, that we, can, we can dominate another you know, group of people who, who seeks to dominate us and think that it's going to come out uh, you know, the way we want it to. Yeah. I, I think um, it's, it's, like I said, it's hard for me to insist that everyone must take this hatred with a grin on their face yeah. and bear that burden. Uh, I don't think that's realistic. Right. Um, I think ultimately that's the best route. Yeah. That's the most effective route Absolutely. to making change and to really making people think. Um, I, I hated Jews. I hated gay people. Um, the only reason I don't is because some of them decided to, to be kind to me. Wow. And I'd like to say that there's one, you know, one size fits all yeah. answer to this, but I just don't think that exists. I think that was the one size fits all answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you may feel like it, it doesn't exist, but we always have to ask, if not that, then what is the alternative? There aren't many alternatives. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. Gotta end it with a hug, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> cool, thanks so much. Appreciate your time, man. Cool. Yeah. Awesome.